So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations, and this the 13th of February. It's the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley, and help me to present the podcast as usual, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? We're good. Thanks a lot, Shane, for joining me. I know you'll, you'll join me in welcoming our listeners as usual, who are housebound and lonely and struggling in some way. Our listeners who support us each week in prayer, we do appreciate it, and please continue doing that. We need every single prayer we can get. Thank you so much. Our, our podcast, uh, as people would be, may be aware of at this particular stage, but maybe you might pass on the information to some of your friends, maybe some of your acquaintances who might be interested. Our podcast does include interviews on faith topics, inspirational music, and of course reflecting on the Sunday Gospel. All of our podcasts uh, are available to be heard at commonseeinspirations.budspread.com. If you just Google Come and See Inspirations, you'll find us there. Uh, going back many years, uh, also on our blog, sacredspace102.blogspot.com, and also on Spotify, iTunes, and of course on our Facebook page, Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us if you wish by texting us on 087 That's 87 6088667 or come and see inspirations at gmail.com. And at the start of each each podcast, the, the introduction of the first part of the podcast, Shane shares with us some saints for the week. So thanks, Shane. You, you might be able to share with us a few more for this week, please. Yeah, so um, we are looking at the sixth week in ordinary time. So for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week two. So looking up, Monday is the 14th of February, and on the liturgical calendar, it is the feast of St. Cyril and Methodius, who are bishops, and they are patrons of Europe. They are brothers from Thessalonica in Greece, and they preach the gospel in Moravia using their own translation of the scriptures. And these translations into Slavonic um, were the foundation of what we call the Cyrillic al- alphabet. So it's the alphabet they use predominantly in Russia today, actually, and in, in parts of Eastern Europe. So they're the creators of, of that particular alphabet. And they're honoured as the apostles of the Slavic peoples. And in 1980, Pope John Paul II declared them uh, patrons of Europe. Now, we've got the patrons of Europe, but they are two of them as well. So that's Cyril and Methodius. Um, there is an Irish connection. Um, as far as I know, their tombs were or are in the Basilica of San Clemente in Rome, which is in the care of the Irish Connections. Um, so just there, there is, an, as always with all these things, John, we find an Irish connection to everything. Uh, Tuesday, of course, sorry, before I go any further, of course, Monday the 14th is also Valentine's Day. So St. Valentine, um, there is a bit of, as um, a thing, what way you want to look at it, there's St. Valentine of Rome. And then there's St. Valentine who's sitting in the White Friars Chapel above in Dublin. <laughs> I'm not quite sure if they're the same guy. Um, so St. Valentine of Rome, from which gets the Valentine's Day tradition, um, is uh, a martyr of the early 200s. He was a priest who uh, went ahead and by tradition is said to have married young couples, particularly young soldiers in the Roman army, which was very much against the rules at the time. And that's how he became involved with Amor and all that kind of um, thing. There is absolutely no connection with the saint and giving gifts and sending cards and going out for dinner and hearts and all that palaver that goes on on the 14th of February. You don't get involved with that? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay. <laughs> right. Moving swiftly along. Some of us have so, no choice, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. The 15th of February is the feast day of St. Claude de la Combière. Now, we've come across this man before a couple of times, of course, because he is he's French saint and is connected with the devotion to the Sacred Heart because he was the spiritual director of St. Margaret Mary of Alacoque. Um, very much associated with dedication to the Sacred Heart. He was a Jesuit. He joined the Jesuits in 1659. We won't hold that against him. Uh, he was chaplain to the Duchess of York and was actually, um, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for, was living in England for a period of time. But there was, uh, things were a bit nervous for Catholics at the time, and he was imprisoned as part of the Titus Oats Plot, which is one of these kind of Catholic scares that were in Protestant England. And it was only through the intervention of Louis XIV um, that he was not executed, actually. He was banished from England, uh, but his health had been ruined, and he returned to Paris-la-Monielier, uh, which we come across before with our connections with the Emmanuel community. And he died in uh, 1682. In, um, uh, in 1682, he's regarded as a dry martyr, which means he suffered every abuse for the faith except death itself. So that's Saint Claude de la Colombière. He was canonized in 1992 by John Paul II. Wednesday, the 16th, is the feast day of Saint Juliana of Nicodemia of Nicomedia. Now, this is an interesting one. I picked this woman out because actually she was a very popular saint in the Middle Ages and particularly um, for the creation of stained glass and other art objects during the Middle Ages. So you'd come across her fairly often in, uh, in that kind of a context. She died, um, she's an early, an early Christian saint. We don't have a specific date for her. She's the patron saint of sick people and people that are ill. She died uh, either by being burned or boiled in oil and then beheaded in 305 AD. And she was an interesting one. She, her, husband, her father tried to marry her off and she kept postponing it by saying to that she wanted the nobles, first of all, to be to become prefect of Nicomedia. And then she insisted to become a, a Christian and he refused and basically uh, um, handed her over to be executed. So that's Juliana of Nicomedia, whose feast day we celebrate on the 16th of February. 17th of February is the Irish calendar, is the feast day of St. Fenton, very much associated with the uh, with Leinster. He said to have received his formation in Terry Glass in County Tipperary, and uh, he made his own foundation in County Leash and is said to have died in 603 AD. Friday the 18th is the feast day of Blessed Fra Angelico. Now, I went with this one. This guy's a Dominican blessed, and of course, he's a famous artist. Um, he's his name and religion was Fra Giovanna, so his brother John. And he was taught uh, painting, and very much he was, he was a natural artist and famous for being um, for famous for his religious art, which named him the title Angelico. He died in 1455 in the Dominican convent in Rome of natural causes. Then uh, finally then, John, on Saturday, the 19th of February, on the Irish calendar, we have the feast day of Blessed John Sullivan. So John is um, he's a newish enough saint. He was beatified in 2017 by Pope Francis. And his beatification miracle involved the healing of a young boy named Michael Collins who was paralyzed. 
And John healed him by touching his leg and praying over him for two years, two hours. Sorry, I beg your pardon. And it was an interesting one because people might remember that beatification ceremony took place actually in St. Francis Saviour Church in Dublin. Now, you, obviously, you can gather because it took place in that church, John, he's actually or was a Jesuit. Um, he was a barrister uh, before he joined um, the, 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 the Jesuits. Uh, he did consider actually joining the Orthodox Church first, but on his return to Ireland after a bit of travel, he converted to Catholicism and joined the, into the church in 1896. He joined the Jesuits in 1900. He was ordained in 1907, and he was a professor at Pongos College. Um, and he was very much associated with healing. And he, as I said, then he died in 1933 and was beatified in 2017. So that's what we have, John, in terms of our saints for the week this week. Shane, thanks a lot for that. Very comprehensive as usual. Okay, just a few notices just to bring to Lister's attention. Uh, from our good friend, uh, Noreen Lynch, who's director of the FCJ Spirituality House in Spanish Point in County Clare. Just to highlight just a few events that she's got coming up. Um, Donald Daw will be bringing a spring reflection series, night two. He's already given one, a beautiful one. I attended it myself on Zoom, uh, entitled uh, Reflections on Hope uh, on Love. This one is actually entitled Reflections on Hope. It's Wednesday the 23rd of February, 7pm to 9pm on Zoom. A gentle opportunity to listen, to share, to share and to deepen our awareness of what matters in these times. It's an online event uh, with small group discussion. So to register, uh, you're asked to contact uh, info at fcjspiritualityhouse.ie. That's fcjspiritualityhouse.ie. And there's a phone number there, which is 87 9115 That's 087-447-9115. So contact Noreen on that email address, and then you'll be uh, directed to uh, a link um, where you can register to participate in that particular evening. A beautiful evening with Donald Dorr. Uh, reflections on Hope, 23rd of February, 7 to 9 p.m. Just staying with Noreen there, um, she continues her Tuesday and Thursday morning uh, meditation events for 30 minutes, uh, a nice period of 30 minutes of calm and stillness with gentle breath work. Um, to sign up online, again, it's the same um, same procedure. Just email Noreen at fcjspiritualityhouse.ie and she'll send you the link. There's no charge for this, as is there's no charge for the Donald Door event either. So at this point of our programme, we oh, yeah, j- sorry, just before we go further on, um, in part two of the programme, we're going to start off a series today and talks that were um, taking place in Knox Ryan early in December uh, on synodality. It's Father Eamon Conway and Julie Cabinet took part of them. The first one um, is entitled Synodality, What Does It Mean? Uh, presented by Eamon Conway. The second one, Synodality, How Does It Work? by Julie Kavanagh. And the third talk, Synodality, What Does It Mean? Why does it matter, sorry? And that's again by Father Eamon Conway. So today in part two, we're going to bring our listeners 
to uh, our listeners the first talk by Eamon Conway entitled Synodality, What Does It Mean? But before that, we might go for a prayer space. And a prayer space over the last period of time we've taken from Vision Be Inspired. It's a YouTube channel from Father Flan Lynch, who's a Capuchin priest. Um, And this week, we've taken uh, one which is entitled Gratitude. So let's listen to Father Flan as he guides us through this lovely meditation on gratitude. And again, we'll finish it off with that piece of music, uh, a nice gentle piece of music, the Song of Micah. So join us again in part two, where we'll be able to listen to Father Eamon Conway as he shares with us about synodality and what does it mean. Everything in life is gift. That is why nothing is more essential than the practice of gratitude. Gratitude is the most extraordinary gift. In fact, it is a twofold gift. When I say thank you, the love rises in my heart, giving me the gift of a happy heart. When I say thank you to another person, I also give them a great gift. Because thank you means I love you, I accept you, I appreciate you, I encourage you. In this meditation, we are going to say thank you from our heart for some of the countless gifts that are part of everyday life. We prepare for our meditation. Relax and let go. Close your eyes gently. Feel happy in your heart. Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. Jesus, Lord and Master, I praise and thank you with great delight. Jesus, friend and Savior, I open my heart to you in deep joy and gratitude. Jesus, I praise and thank you for all you have done for me and for the whole human race. I thank you for the example of your life, for the love you poured out in your death, and for the glory of your resurrection. I thank you, Jesus, for the gift of faith tells me you are the infinite God and friend to us all. Jesus, I thank you for the supreme gift of the loving relationship you offer each one of us. 
you, Jesus, for the gift of hope, the sure hope of glory in the next life. Jesus, for the gift of freedom that allows me to choose what is good and just and loving. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of freedom that allows me to respond in love to life as it unfolds. I thank you, Jesus, for the abundance of love and generosity you have put into our hearts. Jesus, I thank you for the daily opportunities that enable me to be fruitful. Through my kindness and caring, my generosity and compassion. Jesus, friend and saviour, I thank you for the gift of prayer of prayer and the power of prayer. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is our advocate and strength, our comforter and our peace. Jesus, friend and saviour, I thank you for the gift of the Eucharist, for you are the living bread come down from heaven. I thank you, Jesus, for the wonder of my soul, as big as an endless world and like a blessed kingdom. I thank you, Jesus, for the genius of my mind and how miraculously it works. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of so many great feelings feelings of love and friendship, feelings of support and belonging. Jesus, I thank you for feelings of humor and celebration, feelings of sadness and grief, Feelings of gentleness and compassion. 
Jesus, friend and savior, I thank you for feelings of appreciation and encouragement. Feelings of trust and confidence. Feelings of joy and peace. Jesus, I thank you for feelings of humility and gratitude. Feelings of deep respect for my own dignity and the dignity of every person. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of my body, every part and every organ a miracle so full of wonder. Jesus, I thank you for the gifts of health and food, the gifts of shelter and sleep, the gifts of work and leisure, Jesus, I thank you for the gift of parents and family to whom I owe overwhelming and unending gratitude. Jesus, I thank you for the model people who have inspired me and shown me the way. Jesus, friend and saviour, I thank you for the gifts of education and health care, the gifts of technology and science. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of Mother Earth, the gift of nature and all living things. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of the whole universe, so vast and so stunning in its beauty and goodness. Jesus, I thank you for the gifts of awe and wonder and gratitude that enable me to be nourished by the beauty and goodness everywhere. Jesus, friend and saviour, I thank you above all for the gift of yourself. For you are our Lord and Master, our friend and Saviour, drawing us moment by moment into our home in heaven. Jesus, I thank you.
Jesus, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the wonder of my being and that of every person and the miracle of your presence in me and in every person.
So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. In October 9th and 10th uh, last year, 2021, Pope Francis launched a two-year synodal path to encounter, listen and discern the Holy Spirit, leading to a 2023 synod involving the Universal Church. Starting today, we are replaying three talks given at the Knox Ryan in December last our first talk today is presented by Father Eamon Conway. Eamon is Professor at the Department of Theology and Religious Studies in Mary Immaculate College in Limerick. And the title of Father Eamon's talk today is Citadelity. What does it mean? This will be followed by Ceci Williams singing Holy Spirit, Come Fill This Place. Incidentally, the talks can be listened back to at the Knox Ryan YouTube channel. So let's listen to Father Eamon. Let us begin with the prayer uh, that the Holy Father has entrusted to us uh, as we prepare uh, for the Synod of 2023, which we'll talk about a little later. We stand before you, Holy Spirit, as we gather together in your name. With you alone to guide us, Make yourself at home in our hearts. Teach us the way we must go and how we are to pursue it. We are weak and sinful. Do not let us promote disorder. Do not let ignorance lead us down the wrong path, nor partiality influence our actions. Let us find in you our unity so that we may journey to, together to eternal life and not stray from the way of truth and what is right. All this we ask of you, who are at work in every place and time, in the communion of the Father and the Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. So, as I say, it's good to be with you. It's lovely to be here. The last public talk I gave was here in Knock. Uh, back in just before the pandemic struck uh, in early 2020. So there's kind of a, 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 a appropriateness of the fact that the first one I give is back here with you as well. That time we were doing tasters in theology. Of course, in the meantime, apart from the pandemic, this concept of synodality has emerged very strongly in the life of the church. And I think it would be very difficult now to be reading anything about the church uh, to be listening to any of the conversations without encountering the word synod and synodality. So Father Richard very kindly asked me to come and speak with you a little bit about this tonight. And there's lots of information out there at all kinds of different levels. Uh, this has been worked on for quite some time, ever really since Pope Francis uh, came into office. It has really been the kind of the underlying theme of his uh, pontificate. And so, you know, there are a lot of resources. And some of the slides I'm using tonight and the quotes, of course, I, I didn't have to make them up. They're, they're already there. Um, they're already out on social media and so on. So let's begin by asking ourselves, what is synodality? Sorry, just go back to the start. What does it mean? And just the word itself, synodality, this, it's from the Greek, um, S-Y-N, syn, odos. It means simply walking a common path or walking together, walking a common path together. That's what the word actually means. That's what the concept means. In the terms of the church, 
just take a few moments. We'll just look at this slide together. I hope it's visible to our um, people looking online. The colors, as I say, I downloaded them in these colors. I probably wouldn't have chosen them myself, but hopefully you can make it out. Synodality denotes the particular style that qualifies the life and mission of the church. Expressing her nature as the people of God, journeying together, that's the concept I said, synodality, journeying together and gathering in assembly. Summoned by the Lord Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. Synodality ought to be expressed in the church's ordinary way of living and working. So I want to just take a moment or two with some words from this. So we've two words now. We've synodality and we've synods. Okay, so I'm going to talk about synodality first. And then we'll talk about synods as particular moments. So synodality denotes the particular style that qualifies the life and mission of the church. The word style there, a particular approach, a particular way of being church together, of being the, the body of Christ together, of being the people of God together. And what is particularly drawing our attention to is that we journey together as God's people. And also then specifically when we gather in, in particular assemblies, which we will call synods. Summoned by the Lord Jesus. So there's a real belief that this is what the Lord is currently calling us to do. It's not something we've come up with in a sense of our own volition or of our own you know, idiosyncratic kind of thoughts. No, this is something that the Lord is summoning the church to do at this time in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you notice the prayer we prayed at the start was all about the Holy Spirit, invoking the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to be with us and to guide us at this time. And the purpose of this, so that we can better proclaim the gospel, more effectively communicate the gospel in the circumstances of the present day. So just to summarize that again, it's how we journey together, utilizing all the gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit to the people of God, journeying in our own time and space, guided by the Lord, submitting to the will of the Lord, so that we can more effectively proclaim the gospel. And it's how this will be expressed in the church's ordinary way of living and working. So where will we see the fruits of synodality? We should see it in how we run our parishes, that the people of God are active participants in the life of our parishes, uh, that they are involved in the lives of our schools that are part of our, our mission as church, our Catholic schools. We should see them in how we look after the, the wealth of the church, the temporal goods of the church, what the church owns, um, how, how it administers its property, how it looks after its property. There are many, many gifts that are given to the people of God. And it's about how these various gifts are enabled to flourish and be at the service of the church at this time. So it should permeate into the ordinariness of our daily lives. It can't be just about the big events. It can't be just about the big events. Is that okay for a moment on that particular slide? And I hope again our, our audience uh, who are remotely joined in can, can follow this with us. Um, 
Synodality enables the entire people of God to walk forward together. So we've more or less said that already. Listening, and I'll come back again maybe on that word, listening to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So we are participating in the mission of the church, in the communion that Christ establishes between us. So again, it's all about how the church can be more missionary. One of the favorite words of Pope Francis about becoming missionary disciples. And you know, again, this is a shift for us here in the Irish context to think of the Irish church as missionary territory. And it is now missionary territory. And that we are called to be missionary disciples. I think in the past we used to think about, when I ever heard the word missions growing up, I thought of overseas. You know, if you think of any of the different, you know, or it could be the parish mission. But it's now the entire church here in Ireland is called to be missionary. That is that we have evangelization at the heart of all our thoughts and all our actions, enabling people to encounter Christ in a personal way. That has to be at the heart of our mission as church, how people encounter not simply an ideology that Christian values are interesting or good alongside other values, but actually the living presence of Christ in our lives, how we encounter Christ and how we respond to Christ in our daily lives. And just one more slide. Ultimately, this path of walking together, which is the literal meaning of synod uh, synodality and synod, it's the most effective way of manifesting and putting into practice the nature of the church as the pilgrim and missionary people of God. And that concept of the church as the pilgrim people of God, that was one of the big themes of, of Vatican II, um, particularly in one of the documents on the church uh, called Lumen Gentium, the light of the nations. Um, Vatican II spoke in the second last chapter of the church as a pilgrim people. And of course, a pilgrim people, if you've, here we are in Knock, so we know what pilgrimage is all about. Um, if you've gone on pilgrimages, you know, there's, there's a journeying, there's a walking together, there's a carrying of one another. There's a way of discovering who we are ourselves, maybe in a new way when we're on pilgrimage. When we leave behind the comforts of home and we embrace at times the unknown of a journey. Uh, and, but we open ourselves up. Anytime I've done pilgrimages, and I've done, obviously I've come here to Knock. Uh, Loch Derg is one of my favorite pilgrimages. Um, I, I work there also. Um, the Camino I've done several times. Pilgrimages open us up in a way. Um, we, we recognize our dependency on God when we're on pilgrimage. We recognize our own limitedness, our creatureliness very much comes to the fore when we're on pilgrimage. We're out of our comfort zones, I think, when we enter into a, a, a pilgrimage. Um, so we're called to be a pilgrim church, and very much synodality is uh, the, the heart of that walking together on pilgrimage. And it's about each member of the church um, playing its part um, on this journey, on this uh, pilgrim path that we walk together. And just a few quotations. I mean, just this is not, I'd say this maybe later on too, it's not an idiosyncrasy of Pope Francis. He didn't invent this. This is coming from the heart of the church, but he has drawn our attention to it. He's surfaced it in a particular way. We'll come to that in a moment. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith three years ago issued a very important document called Synodality in the Life and Mission of the Church. And again, these documents pour out at the moment, and for the most part, they pass us by, you know. 
and it's not for everybody to read. That's why I suppose people like me can make a living, you know, uh, <laughs> to to help interpret these and and uh, and and um, summarize them for people. But the document said that the church is synodal by nature. It's the action of the spirit in the communion of the body of Christ and in the missionary journey of the people of God. So what we're called to is to ensure that as church we gather in prayer, in reflection, in such a way that the Spirit can speak to us, that we actually can hear the Spirit speaking to us. And we gather in such a way that we are in communion with one another because the Spirit speaks to us through one another. Remember, where two or three are gathered, we're told Christ is there in our midst. So when we, we need to gather as a community, we need to open our hearts and our minds to the Lord and to one another so that we can listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. Us being the body of Christ, the representation of Christ in our world. That's what we're called to be. When you accepted your baptism, when you joined, became a member of the church, you accepted to be core member of the body of Christ in our world, representing everything Christ represented in our world. And that involves now being a, an active missionary disciple. Um, again, Antony Spadaro, a Jesuit which was very close to Pope Francis, puts it very simply, he says, synodality is what the church is called to in the 21st century. It's what we're called to as church in the 21st century. Okay. And again, it words they're used here, it's constitutive of the church. It's not meant to be a passing fad. Something that's just come into fashion now and will disappear in a few years' time. It's, it's really understood, at least by Pope Francis and many others, as something that has bubbled up into the surface of the consciousness of the church at this particular moment in history. A lot has happened since Vatican II. And maybe in the first, you know, 50 years, what are we now, 1965, 55 years since Vatican II, 56 years since Vatican II. That's, very, that's still a very short time after a major council in the church. And in the first decades after that, the focus was on the texts, the documents that the council fathers, as we call them, produced. Now what we seem to be receiving, Pope Francis is the first pope who wasn't at the council. All the others were there in some capacity or other. Pope Benedict was there as a parishius, as they call it, an advisor. Uh, Pope Paul VI, of course, was there. Um, Pope John Paul, of course, was there as a bishop, uh, and so on. Pope Francis is the first pope who had no direct context of the actual events of the council, 1962 to 65. And maybe in some ways that has freed him up to step back from the texts. That's not, of course, to disregard the texts, but step back from them and actually So, it's constitutive of the church that the church attends to the people of God journeying together under the guidance of the Spirit. Um, a new way of proceeding that gives form to the church. It, 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 it's not just anymore an idea that the church is the people of God, but we actually feel that, we, we experience that. And this has been going on for some time, we're given to understand, in the context from which Pope Francis comes, Latin America. And so part of what's going on at the moment in the church is that we're receiving a particular 
way of being church from the experience of the church in Latin America. That they have been involved in synodality for many, many decades now. They have had this, if you like, conference of bishops, conferences of Latin America, working together, responding to the needs of the churches in Latin America. This has been going on there for quite some time. And just as in the past, if you like, the world church received an awful lot from Europe. You know, we exported models of church to Africa, indeed to Latin America, to Australia and so on. Europe, in a sense, exported how to be church and exported missionaries and so on. The tide has turned a bit. And now we're receiving from part of what has been going on in Latin America. And that's why we can say here that it's a gifting the global church with how to move from a particular focus in synodality on the bishops working together to the whole people of God working together. And that's what's meant here by synodality. The bishops working together to ecclesial synodality, understanding in fact it's the church as the people of God working together. Is this okay so far? Okay, we'll keep going for another little while. And Francis, or um, Richard, you'll give me a, a time signal. We're about 15 minutes in at this stage. Now, what does it mean? It means conversion of mindsets and mentalities. This is a huge change. I mean, did you grow up in the church that saw, may I say so, you as pay up, pray up, and shut up? You know, say your prayers, put the money in the collection box, and you've done your job, right? No more pay up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, please do keep paying up. <laughs> please keep praying. But this is not the time to shut up. It's not about pay up, pray up, and shut up. This is a con and this is a huge conversion for us to understand ourselves as active agents of Christ in the world. All of us as the people of God. And I'm, as a priest, I'm a member of the people of God. The bishops are members of the people of God. We're all members of the people of God together. If you look at that little image there, uh, which I borrowed off some website, um, you'll see the bishop is in the midst of it. And if you like, the, the, the model of church, a lot of people would like a pyramid with the bishop at top and the ordinary people of God somewhere down here. And what Pope Francis specifically said here is situating the hierarchy within the people of God, inverting the pyramid. Uh, you can have a pyramidal church, he says, or a synodal church, but you can't have both. So this is not in any way eroding the responsibility of the bishops the distinctive calling of the ordained of priests and bishops is not eroding that, but it's locating it within the wider work of the Spirit in the people of God, who have their own gifts and their own responsibilities as baptized Christians. So that's a big shift for us, you know? And some people will be very comfortable with that, and some people have been clamoring for it for decades. And some people will say, no thanks. I'm very happy that others take on that responsibility. But Pope Francis believes, and I think many people in the world church believe now, the church cannot survive without being synodal. You know, and we need to learn to respond to that. Okay. So now, that's synodality. Can we take a few moments to talk about synods? And Francis, or sorry, Richard, why do I keep calling you Francis tonight? Maybe I'm associated with the Holy Father just implicitly, you know. Um... There you go. Quick recovery aim in there. <laughs> what is a synod? Okay, so Fran uh, Richard <laughs> mentioned that I had the privilege of attending the last synod under Pope 
Benedict, which was in 2012, on the new evangelization. And I was there as, a, as a, an advisor. Um, the only people who could vote at that synod were bishops. Uh, there, there weren't any exceptions, I think, at that synod. Since Pope Francis came in, there have been some exceptions. And um, the heads of religious orders who weren't bishops, I think, have, have votes, but I couldn't be certain about that. But it was predominantly the ordained who attended that synod, bishops in the first instance and some others. Now gradually, as there have been a number of synods under Pope Francis, the ground has shifted. So obviously the synods and the family spent quite a lot of time listening to families. And the synod on the Amazon, of course, listening to the people of the Amazon, that was an extraordinary synod. By the way, synods, ordinary synods take place every three years. And this was introduced by Vatic after the Vatican uh, Council as a way, if you like, of, of the global church still being able to influence um, decisions taken in Rome, if you like. That it was like almost a standing committee of the council that would gather, bishops would gather. And the number of bishops from a particular country depend on how many bishops there are in, in that country. So Ireland usually has two bishops attending uh, ordinary synods of, of the bishops. Then there are extraordinary ones. They're called out of order, if you like, if there's particular issues the Pope wishes to address. So in fact, there were two synods on the family, one extraordinary and one ordinary. And usually only one bishop from each country attends that. But gradually with Pope Francis, the, the listening to the people on the ground has increased with each synod he's called. He had one on young people. Again, young people were very, very well represented as, as, uh, to, to be listened to. Um, obviously the ones in the family I've mentioned, and so on. So what is a synod? It's an ancient and venerable word in the tradition. Uh, it says here, the meaning draws on the deepest themes of relationship. And we've already talked about, about walking together, pilgrimaging, journeying together as God's people. Uh, equally, it refers, and it's very small I see here on the screen now, to the Lord Jesus, who himself is the way, the truth, and the life. So this is not just any old walk together. This is walking the way with the Lord, who is the way, the truth, and the life. In a certain sense, Jesus is both the journey and the destination, and the one who accompanies us on that. So we have to really, there, I, one thing I want to say tonight is, there is no other concept close to that of a synod, or synodality. It doesn't say, is it like? It's more unlike anything we can think of from a secular world than like. Okay, so what are synods? Um, I would call them intense moments of listening to the Holy Spirit. And they're essentially prayerful gatherings. And that's why, you know, I'm going to tell you in a moment to do what a synod is not. But just focus for a moment. They're essentially prayerful gatherings. The, 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 there are different parts of the world at the moment where synodality and synodal type gatherings are already underway. Germany and Australia being two. And I, I've watched, because they're broadcast live, I've watched... Uh, the sessions of the German Synod. Um, and what I've really been struck about is the prayerfulness of the engagement in the, the you know, they actually, the, 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 they have specific moments of prayer. Mass and opening prayers and closing prayers and so on. But the whole, is, the whole gathering is prayerful. The division between now we're praying and now we're not praying and we're working, that, that really blurs and should blur in a genuine synodal process. Um, and they are really meant to be moments of intense listening. And we listen, of course, to each other, but what we're really listening to is what is the Spirit saying to us at this time 
as we listen to each other. I've been trying to think of a, how to put it, um, an analogy, if you like, for this. And one that came to mind, and obviously I'm not a, a parent, uh, but those of you who are parents, those who are listening in who are parents, maybe your child comes home from school and starts telling you what went on during the day for them. And maybe they're upset about something or there's something really worked up about something. And you will listen to the words and you'll listen to what they're saying, but you're probably listening underneath that to say, what's really going on for my child at this moment? You're listening beneath the words to say, what's, what's happening? Is, is my child happy? Is my child sad? What, what? It's that deeper listening beyond the words just to, to what's going on in his or her life at this time. And I think that's something like the kind of deeper listening that synodality is meant to enable. That we listen beneath the words, beneath the maybe at times excitement, at times disappointment, to say what, what, is, what is really going on in this moment. And it, it is the process of what Pope Francis, of course, as a Jesuit, is very familiar with, but we've all, in a sense, become more conscious of now, the process of discernment, of actually that deeper listening to what is going on. And sometimes we need help in our own lives even to discern. You know, if there's something going on in your life and you might think you've it all worked out, but if you have a good friend you can sit down with and they'll ask you the right questions that'll bring you to a deeper place in yourself where you, maybe you'll hear what's going on in a new and in a fresh way. And that's, I think, what's something like what a synodal assembly or a synod is meant to be about. And it, so this listening, I think, is key. It's more than simply hearing, Pope Francis says here. It is a mutual listening in which everyone has something to learn. So if we're not open to learning, we're not going to get into the synodal process at all. The faithful people, the College of Bishops, and indeed the Bishop of Rome, all listening to each other, but really listening to what the Spirit is saying. And very often in a discernment process, and again there's lots of Biblical examples for this, I can think of one or two of them. Sometimes it's the least likely person that gets it. I mean, with the, you know, the, in, in the rule of St. Benedict, St. Benedict says, do listen to the youngest monk. Listen to what the youngest, the one you're most likely to say, ah, what would he know, what would she know? Um, equally, we have in, in, I think it's in St. In, in, in Paul, uh, do not let people disregard you because you are young. Sometimes the least likely person might be the one who, who gets it, that the Spirit actually speaks through. And very often it's not going to be in the clamorous shouting or debating, but in, as we read in the Book of Kings, in the gentle breeze. That moment, the gentle breeze. What are synods underpinned by? And this is just a little technical, but I think it's important to pay attention to it. The concept of the church as a pilgrim church a journeying church, which means that there is a huge element of provisionality about how we organize and structure ourselves as church, which we didn't always uh, recognize. Gosh, we always thought there were things couldn't change in the church. You know, because of course change isn't something we always are willing to embrace, and of course not all changes are necessarily for the best. But of course we know from John Henry Newman and others, to live is to change, and to be perfect is to change often. And that's not just true of individuals, but it's also true of us as church. Um, sometimes we have to actually change to remain the same, because the world around us is changing. But it's not change for its own sake, it's change for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. 
what we're called to be faithful to and unchanging about is, 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 is serving the mission of Christ. Sometimes we have to change to be faithful to that because we're working in a, in a changing world, in a changing environment. And the second thing that underpins our concept of synods is that there is a certain depositing of infallibility in the people of God. Now this is the bit that's complicated, but it, it, it does, it's something that's been there all along in the, in the church's self-understanding. The whole body of the faithful, that's all of us here, that's bishops, it's priests, it's the Pope, it's you and me, who have an anointing from the Holy One, baptism, cannot err in matters of belief. And that's known as the sensus fidei, it's a Latin phrase that's used for that. There's a sense of the faith, that there's an intuition, that we get this gift of intuiting the truth about Christ, the truth about uh, God's intention for humanity. It's a supernatural gift. Um, and that this resides from the bishops, this is quoting uh, Vatican II, from the bishops to the last of the faithful. What an unfortunate phrase, but from the bishops to, the, to each one of us. Um, and, and this means we cannot err in believing in credendo. It's really a gift of the Holy Spirit to the church that ultimately will get it right as church. We're guaranteed that we won't go wrong ultimately as church. Um, okay, now this is an interesting quote from Pope Francis and it was in his first document, Evangelii Gaudium. When you want to know what the church teaches, you go to the teaching authority of the church, the magisterium. But if you want to know how the church teaches, you listen to the faithful people. Pope Francis was one of the greatest defenders of the ordinary people of God and the faith of the ordinary people of God and the devotions and the popular devotions of the people of God when he was a bishop in Latin America. And so the magisterium will teach you who Mary is but the faithful people will teach you how to love Mary. I think that's an interesting one for us here in Knock. Um, so that's just an important point. I'll just make one or two more points. Um, th these synods are pastoral in nature. They're about how do we live the Christian faith. They're not about how to redefine the Christian faith. And I think a lot of people you know, think they're going to be about changing doctrine. They're not about changing doctrine. That's not how doctrine, th well, let me not overstate it either. I think in that profound sense of listening, we may come to deeper understandings of what the church teaches, and indeed there may be developments, because there is such a thing as the development of church teaching. But primarily synods are about the pastoral life, relating the church's self-understanding to the circumstance in which we find ourselves. And synods are consultative. They are operate in what's called with Peter and under Peter, with the Pope and under the Pope. So at the end of the day, they are advisory. Synods advise the Pope, they're consultative of the Pope. Again, if they are what Pope Francis wants them to be, they will be very good advice. And they will surface something he may not have come to on his own, because this is a profound exercise in listening to the Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, the Pope is not bound by what the Synod comes up with. And in fact, in the Synod in the Amazon, and we won't go into it now, he, he actually believed that at one point what he called a bad spirit was at work, not the Holy Spirit. And he, he stepped back. And people didn't understand that. They thought he got afraid to, to follow the advice. No, he didn't get afraid at all. He just said, this is not, I do not believe that this is a, a, an authentic listening to the Holy Spirit. So very quickly, what synods and synodality are not? They're not simply about working out popular opinion. Okay, at times, we will want to know what popular opinion says. 
It's interesting and relevant, but synods are not simply about listening to popular opinion. They're certainly not merely an invention of Pope Francis. They're more, as I said, about the conversion of mindsets and mentalities than about reforming structures. And they're certainly not parliaments or democracy, democratic structures. That's what I said about we really don't have anything in secular world to compare with them. Just this quote uh, from Pope Francis. He said, there's a danger to think today that making a synodal journey or having an attitude of synodality means to sound people's opinions, that this or that person thinks, what this or that person thinks, and then to hold a meeting to agree. No, the synod is not a parliament. Things must be said, discussed as normal, but it is not a parliament. The synod is not about reaching agreement as in politics. I give you this in exchange for that, the kind of you know, haggling that goes on in politics or majority rule or whatever. No, the synod is not about making a sociological survey, as some would suppose. Let's see, we'll ask a group of lay people to make an inquiry to find out if we should change this, this and this. You certainly need to know what your lay people are thinking, but it is not an inquiry. It is different. If there is no Holy Spirit, there's no listening to the Holy Spirit, there is no synodality. So it's not to be confused with that. And I think this is going to be a very tough thing for us to to accept and realize, but it's not, we all get together, we're going to say, decide how we're going to change the church. That's not what synodality is about. Um, and he does urge people to get engaged in, uh, in debating, but ideas are debated, but reality is discerned. It's about that process of listening, uh, listening carefully. And he encourages people then, you know, if we're coming from a position of genuine prayer, we'd find the courage to say difficult things to each other and to disagree with one another without being disagreeable with one another and trusting that we may well be wrong but that's okay too that you know that the process of listening will discern what's right from what's wrong so maybe that's enough by way of just introduction to the concept of of, of synod and synodality what it is what it is not um, and the there are a couple of more talks following I haven't gone into what's happening concretely um, in Ireland and globally, but I think next week um, you're going to hear about that from Jane Ferguson, Julie Kavanagh, I beg your pardon, Julie Kavanagh. And then the following week, I'm going to talk a little bit about why synods matter, why synodality matters at this time. So I'll talk a little bit about that. But let's just take a pause for a moment. Maybe I'm just going to give you a moment of quiet, and I hope our, our audience um, online will just appreciate it. Just take a moment even to reflect back over what I've said. What has stayed with you?
So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. And at this point of each podcast is where we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel. Before that, we'll ask Shane to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. 
We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So our gospel for today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 17, and also from 20 to 26. Jesus came down with the twelve and stopped at a piece of level ground, where there was a large gathering of his disciples with a great crowd of people from all parts of Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be cured of of their diseases. Then fixing his eyes on the disciples, he said, Happy those who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Happy are you who are hungry now. You shall be satisfied. Happy you who weep now. You shall laugh. Happy are you when people hate you, drive you out, abuse you, denounce your name as a criminal on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice. When that day comes, and dance for joy, for then your reward will be great in heaven. This was the way their ancestors treated their prophets. But alas for you who are rich, you are having your consolation now. Alas for you who have your fill now, you shall go hungry. Alas for you who laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. Alas for you when the world speaks well of you, this was the way their ancestors treated the false prophets. That's the gospel for today, for the sixth Sunday in ordinary time. Shane, have you got a thought or two you might share with us, please? Yeah, so we have Luke's account of the Beatitudes. Uh, we come across them also in the Gospel of Matthew, and there are slight differences between the two accounts. Um, but whatever way you go to work with it, what Jesus is putting forward here as, I suppose, what is central to his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, whichever way it's described, whichever gospel you're looking at, this is seen as, if you want to put it in political parlance, this would be Jesus' manifesto uh, that he's putting out there for Christians and those that want to be his followers. And it's very much something that turns the world on its head, I think, is the general consensus. Um, The Beatitudes, they're not intuitive, I suppose, to what we see as the world, the way of the world. And particularly in the world of Jesus' time, they were seen as being absolutely out there, um, something that was very different and extreme. And if we were to take them even to our own world, I suppose, or at this time and place, because that is something that we often, that's the point we often make on the program from time to time. When we are encountering scripture, we're not looking at a historic story that happened 2,000 years ago. Faith tells us that the word, the word proclaimed now is speaking to us as much in our own time and space as it did when Jesus was on earth. So the question for us as we reflect on it this week is, well, what exactly is it saying to us? Um, you know, how would they apply, how might those Beatitudes apply to the world today? Um, you know, and very much, I suppose, it's almost calling us to examine, in some respects, both our inner attitudes and also our views on the world in many respects. Um you know, Jesus is challenging us to look around and he's 
you know, saying that the kingdom of God belongs to the poor, if you like. And he's not just talking about the afterlife. He's challenging us to look at the structural social injustices that are in our world today and ask ourselves the question, how are we challenging those injustices and are we part of the problem that causes those injustices to exist? You know, he's asking us in our communities to be welcoming, to be open, to be aware of people's needs. And I suppose very much challenging us to focus our communities on his vision for the world, which of course is something which is quite difficult to do um, in the world that we have today. You know, it's also, the Beatitudes in themselves are, are quite difficult. So one thing I'd be saying to listeners this week, you know, looking at the gospel reflection, is that it's a gospel that we are too familiar with. So it has lost its impact. It has lost its shock value. It has lost the, 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 the absolute, you know, like a bomb going off that it would have been when Jesus said these things 2,000 years ago. We've become too familiar with us. We've sanitized us. We have very much brought it back to, oh, you know, like almost like, um, you know, the, 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 the Aesop's tales or, or, you know, proverbs that you just throw out at the, at, the drop of a, at the drop of a hat. The other thing, actually, which we came across during the week is in their uh, journey with the Gospel of Luke, um, their book by Trina Doherty and Jane Mellis, uh, the book is called The Deep End, they actually draw down about Pope Francis's uh, interpretation of the Beatitudes for the modern world. And I'd just like to read out one or two of them, John, just to kind of, for people just to listen and to think about it. Um, Blessed are those who remain faithful while enduring evil, evils inflicted on them by others and forgive them from their heart. Blessed are those who look into the eyes of the abandoned and marginalized and show them their closeness. Blessed are those who seek God in every person and strive to make others also discover him. Blessed are those who protect and care for our common home. Blessed are those who renounce their own comfort in order to help others. And blessed are those who pray and work for full communion between Christians. A bit different, you know, um, a bit, some would say a slight bit alternative. But whichever way you look at it, you know, as you pause and reflect on this this weekend, the Beatitudes have been the template that's been held up for the Christian life for 2,000 years since we originally were given them by Christ himself. They have formed the inspiration for many people over the centuries, the formation of many religious communities. And I suppose the question for us this Sunday is, do we hear them? Not just, you know, bouncing off the ear, you know, as the gospel is read at mass one Sunday in the 12 months. The question is, do you hear them? Do you listen to what's been said? Are, you know, is it permeating into us so that we 
you know, think about it. We ruminate on it. Because that's one of the things that Lexio is supposed to encourage us to do. If you do Lexio during the week, the whole idea is that it's not just the word and the encounter at that moment in time, but that you take it with you, you ruminate on it, you reflect on it, and you see, you enter into a dialogue with the text and say, well, what is it that Jesus is asking me this week? What is he saying to me in this week's gospel? So, John, that's just a couple of thoughts um, on the Beatitudes for this week. Shane, thank you very much, Neil, for that. Yeah, um, certainly the few points I'd agree with you on that, the few points you brought up, and one of them was kind of this, this shock value might have, might have gone out of it. But I, I think what Father Frank reminded us again this week in his notes, you know, and, and he said... Um, he said that this could be. As he said, he said, he said this week he writes and said this gospel, uh, as we take it out this week, it's not an easy gospel. Maybe to accept, to read, or maybe to take into my hands, as you just said. So he suggests that we make a particular point of praying to the Holy Spirit for guidance, and that's one thing. I know you mentioned that about lecture the and so on and so forth. And do we hear what what we what's been said at mass, and uh, the, the reflection may be offered by the priest? One of the things Father Frank always suggests that we do is that we give the Holy Spirit a chance. So maybe before we start, we invite the Holy Spirit to to, to come, to come to us, to come into our hearts, and help us and guide us to hear as to what what this is. What this means for me is not just speaking to the boys 2,000 years ago. I know, I mean, we we hear today that Jesus stepped on a piece of level ground and there was a large gathering of his disciples and a great crowd of people from all over the place. I'd imagine they came to hear him to get, in, to, to get encouragement and also to get inspiration and, and to give them hope in their struggles as they continue on their, on their daily lives. As someone said about the teaching of Jesus, it's for two for two sorts of people. For those who are comforted, then maybe they're going to be disturbed. And for those who are disturbed, that they be comforted. But we too, as Shane just mentioned, we, we too come to listen to the Word of God each, each week and each time we come to Mass. We could ask ourselves, do we really hear him? Do we really hear the message? Do we get the message that he has for us? And are we among those in the first four statements that Jesus mentioned today, the poor, the hungry, the weeping and the hated, or are we the rich, the full, laughing carelessly and honoured and we don't give a damn about what happens in life, as long as we're okay? So, yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree with Shine. You know, that we are invited maybe to take this away with us. We're not going to get this in a few minutes. Ask the Holy Spirit maybe to stay with us, as Father Frank says, and, and to guide us for the week. And maybe... One thing we could take away with us uh, is the, the response for the response to all your psalm today, this week. Maybe we could take away this response. Happy is the man who places his trust in the Lord. So anyway, that's that about finishes our podcast for this week. Again, thanks, Shane, for, for sharing the podcast with me. And um, next week, we'll, we'll continue on those reflections on synodality. Next next week it'll be with Julia Cavanagh. But in the meantime, Shane, thanks for, for staying with us. No problem. Uh, we'll go with a final piece of music from John Michael Talbot. Lord, every nation on earth shall adore you. So next week for myself and Shane, enjoy the week, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. <laughs>
shall adore you Lord every people will call on your name every knee shall bow every tongue confess your name Jesus the Lord